0: Chapter fifteen of the Honor of the Big Snows. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Honor of the Big Snows by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter fifteen. Almost a woman. Peace followed in the blighted trails of the Red Terror. Again the forest world breathed without fear, but from Hudson's Bay to Athabasca. And as far south as the thousand waters of the reindeer country, the winds whispered of a terrible grief that would remain until babes were men and men went to their graves. Life had been torn and broken in a cataclysm more fearful than that which levels cities and disrupts the earth. Slowly it began its readjustment. There was no other life to give aid or sympathy. AND JUST AS THEY HAD SUFFERED ALONE, SO NOW THE FOREST PEOPLE STRUGGLED BACK INTO LIFE ALONE, BUILDING UP FROM THE WRECK OF WHAT HAD BEEN THE THINGS THAT WERE TO BE. FOR MONTHS THE CREES WAILED THEIR DEATH DIRGES AS THEY SOUGHT OUT THE BONES OF THEIR DEAD. MEN DRAGGED THEMSELVES INTO THE POSTS, WIFELESS AND CHILDLESS, LEAVING DEEP IN THE WILDERNESS ALL THAT THEY HAD KNOWN TO LOVE AND GIVE THEM COMFORT. Now and then came a woman, and around the black scars of burned cabins and tepees, dogs howled mournfully for masters that were gone. The plague had taken a thousand souls, and yet the laughing, dancing millions in that other big world beyond the edge of the wilderness caught only a passing rumor of what had happened. Lac-Bain suffered least of the far northern posts, with the exception of Churchill, where the icy winds downpouring from the Arctic had sent the red terror shivering to the westward. In the late snows, word came that Cummins was to take William's place as factor, and Paris at once set off for the Fond du Lac to bring back Jean de Gravois as chief man. Croisset gave up his fox-hunting to fill Muki's place. The changes brought new happiness to Melis. Croisset's wife was a good woman who had spent her girlhood in Montreal, and Iowaka, now the mother of a fire-eating little Jean and a handsome daughter, was a soft-voiced young Venus who had grown sweeter and prettier with her years, which is not usually the case with half-breed women. "'Bud is good blood in her, beautiful blood,' vaunted Jean proudly, whenever the opportunity came her mother was a princess and her father a pure frenchman whose father's father was a chef de bataillon what's better than that eh i say what better could there be than that so for the first time in her life mlisse discovered the joys of companionship with those of her own kind this new companionship pleasant as it was did not come between her and jan if anything they were more to each other than ever the terrible months through which they had passed had changed them both and had given them according to their years the fruits which are often ripened in the black gloom of disaster rather than in the sunshine of prosperity to melisse they had opened up a new world of thought a new vision of the things that existed about her the sternest teacher of all had brought to her the knowledge that comes of grief of terror and of death and she had passed beyond her years just as the cumulative processes of generations made the indian children pass beyond theirs she no longer looked upon jan as a mere playmate a being whose diversion was to amuse and to love her he had become a man in her eyes he was a hero who had gone forth to fight the death of which she still heard word and whisper all about her croisset's wife and iowaka told her that he had done the bravest thing that a man might do on earth she spoke proudly of him to the indian children who called him the torch bearer she noticed that he was as tall as croisset and taller by half a head than jean and that he lifted her now with one arm as easily as if she were no heavier than a stick of wood. Together they resumed their studies, devoting hours to them each day, and through all that summer he taught her to play upon his violin. The warm months were a time of idleness at Lac-Bain, and Jan had made the most of them in his teaching of melisse She learned to read the books which he had used at Fort Churchill, and by midsummer she could read those which he had used at York factory. At night they wrote letters to each other and delivered them across the table in the cabin, while Cummins looked on and smoked, laughing happily at what they read aloud to him. One night, late enough in the season for a fire to be crackling merrily in the stove, Jan was reading one of these letters when Melisse cried, "'Stop, Jan! Stop there!' jan caught himself and he blushed mightily when he read the next lines i think you have beautiful eyes i love them what is it cried cummins interestedly read on jan don't commanded Melis, springing to her feet and running around the table i didn't mean you to read that she snatched the paper from jan's hand and threw it into the fire Jan's blood filled with pleasure, and at the bottom of his next letter he wrote back, "'I think you have beautiful hair. I love it.' That winter Jan was appointed post-hunter, and this gave him much time at home, for meat was plentiful along the edge of the barrens. The two continued at their books until they came to the end of what Jan knew in them. After that like searchers in strange places they felt their way onward slowly and with caution during the next summer they labored through all the books which were in the little box in the corner of the cabin it was Melis who now played most on the violin and jan listened his eyes glowing proudly as he saw how cleverly her little fingers danced over the strings his face flushed with a joy that was growing stronger in him every day. One day she looked curiously into the F-hole of the instrument, and her pretty mouth puckered itself into a round, red O of astonishment when Jan quickly snatched the violin from her hands. "'Excusez-moi, ma belle Mélisse,' he laughed at her in French. "'I am going to play you something new.' That same day he took the little cloth-covered roll from the violin and gave it another hiding place. It recalled to him the strange spirit which had once moved him at Fort Churchill and which had remained with him for a time at Lac-Bain. That spirit was now gone, luring him no longer. Time had drawn a softening veil over things that had passed. He was happy. The wilderness became more beautiful to him as Melis grew older. Each summer increased his happiness. Each succeeding winter made it larger and more complete. Every fiber of his being sang in joyful response as he watched Melis pass from childhood into young girlhood. He marked every turn in her development, the slightest change in her transformation as if she had been a beautiful flower he possessed none of the quick impetuosity of jean de gravois years gave the silence of the north to his tongue and his exultation was quiet and deep in his own heart with an eagerness which no one guessed he watched the growing beauty of her hair marked its brightening luster when he saw it falling in thick waves over her shoulders and he knew that at last it had come to be like the woman's The changing lights in her eyes fascinated him, and he rejoiced again when he saw that they were deepening into the violet blue of the bakneesh flowers that bloomed on the tops of the ridges. To him, Melis was growing into everything that was beautiful. She was his world, his life, and at post-Lac-Bain there was nothing to come between the two. Jan noticed that in her thirteenth year she could barely stand under his outstretched arm. The next year she had grown so tall that she could not stand there at all. Very soon she would be a woman. The thought leaped from his heart and he spoke it aloud. It was on the girl's fifteenth birthday. They had come up to the top of the ridge on which he had fought the missionary, together red sprigs of the bakneesh for the festival that they were to have in the cabin that night. High up on the face of a jagged rock, Jan saw a bit of the crimson vine thrusting itself out into the sun, and with Melisse laughing and encouraging him from below, he climbed up until he had secured it. He tossed it down to her. "'It's the last one!' she cried, seeing his disadvantage. And I'm going home. You can't catch me. She darted away swiftly along the snow-covered ridge, taunting him with merry laughter as she left him clambering in cautious descent down the rock. Jan followed in pursuit, shouting to her in French, in Cree, and in English, and their two voices echoed happily in their wild frolic. Jan slackened his steps. It was a joy to see Melis springing from rock to rock and darting across the thin openings close ahead of him, her hair loosening and sweeping out in the sun, her slender figure fleeing with the lightness of the pale sunshadows that ran up and down the mountain. He would not have overtaken her of his own choosing, but at the foot of the ridge, Melise gave up. She returned toward him, panting and laughing shimmering like a sea naiad under the glistening veil of her disheveled hair. Her face glowed with excitement. Her eyes, filled with the light of the sun, dazzled Jan in their laughing defiance. Before her he stopped and made no effort to catch her. Never had he seen her so beautiful, still daring him with her laugh, quivering and panting, flinging back her hair half reaching out his arms he cried mlisse you are beautiful you are almost a woman the flush deepened in her cheeks and there was no longer the sweet taunting mischief in her eyes she made no effort to run from him when he came to her do you think so brother jan if you did your hair up like the pictures we have in the books you would be a woman he answered softly YOU ARE MORE BEAUTIFUL THAN THE PITCHERS. HE DREW A STEP BACK, AND HER EYES FLASHED AT HIM AGAIN, WITH THE SPARKLE OF THE OLD FUN IN THEM. YOU SAY THAT I AM PRETTY, AND THAT I AM ALMOST A WOMAN, SHE SHOUTED. AND YET, SHE SHRUGGED HER SHOULDERS AT HIM IN mock DISDAIN, YAN THIS IS THE THIRD TIME IN THE LAST WEEK THAT YOU HAVE NOT PLAYED THE GAME RIGHT. I WON'T PLAY WITH YOU ANY MORE. In a flash he was at her side, her face between his two hands, and bending down he kissed her upon the mouth. "'There!' she said as he released her. "'Isn't that the way we have played it ever since I can remember? Whenever you catch me you may have that.' "'I am afraid, Melis," he said seriously. "'You are growing so tall and so pretty that I am afraid.' afraid my brother afraid to kiss me and what will you do when i get to be a woman jan which will be very soon you say i don't know melise she turned her back to him and flung out her hair and jan who had done this same thing for her a hundred times before divided the silken mass into three strands and plaited them into a braid I don't believe that you care for me as much as you used to, Jan. I wish I were a woman so that I might know if you are going to forget me entirely." Her shoulders trembled and when he had finished his task he found that she was laughing and that her eyes were swimming with a new mischief which she was trying to hide from him. In that laugh there was something which was not like Melis. Slight as the change was, he noticed it, but instead of displeasing him, it set a vague sensation of pleasure trilling like a new song within him. When they reached the post, Meleese went to the cabin with her bakneesh and yawned to the company's store. Tossing the vines upon the table, Meleese ran back to the door and watched him until he disappeared. Her cheeks were flushed, Her lips half parted in excitement, and no sooner had he gone from view than she hurried to Iowaka's home across the clearing. It was fully three-quarters of an hour later when Jan saw Melisse, with Iowaka's red shawl over her head, walking slowly and with extreme precision of step back to the cabin. "'I wonder if she has the earache.' he said to himself, watching her curiously. "'That is Iowaka's shawl, and she has it all about her head.' "'A clear half-inch of the rarest wool from London,' added the cheery voice of Jean de Gravois, whose moccasins had made no sound behind him. He always spoke in French to Jan. "'There is but one person in the world who looks better in it than your Mélisse, Jan and that is Iowaka, my wife. Blessed saints, man, but is she not growing more beautiful every day? Yes, said Jan, she will soon be a woman. A woman, shouted Jean, who, not having his caribou whip, jumped up and down to emphasize his words. She will soon be a woman, did you say, Jan And if she is not a woman at thirty with two children, God send others like them, when will she be, I ask you? I meant Melis, laughed Jan. And I meant Iowaka, said Jean. Ah, there she is now, come out to see if her Jean de Gravois is on his way home with the sugar for which she sent him something like an hour ago for you know she is chef de cuisine in this affair to-night. Ah, she sees me not, and she turns back heartily disappointed. I'll swear by all the saints in the calendar. Did you ever see a figure like that, Yantaro? And did you ever see hair that shines so, like the top feathers of a raven who's nibbling at himself in the hottest bit of sunshine he can find? Deliver us! but i'll go with the sugar this minute the happy jean hopped out like a cricket overburdened with life calling loudly to his wife who came to meet him a few minutes later jan thrust his head in at their door as he was passing i knew i should get a beating or something worse for forgetting that sugar cried the little frenchman holding up his bared arms dough 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 i'm rolling dough dough for the bread dough for the cakes dough for the pies dough jan thoreau just common flour and water mixed and swabbed i jean de gravois chief man at post lac bain am mixing dough she is as beautiful as an angel and sweeter than sugar my iowaka i mean but there is more flesh in her earthly tabernacles than in mine, so I am compelled to mix this dough, mon ami. Iowaka, my dear, tell Jan what you are telling me about Meleese, and— Hush! cried Iowaka in her sweet Cree. That is for Jan to find out for himself. So, so it is, exclaimed the irrepressible Jean plunging himself to the elbows in his pan of dough. Then hurry to the cabin, Jan, and see what sort of a birthday gift Meleese has got for you. End of chapter 15 Recording by Roger Moline